am Philip Crawford, and I am so glad that you have tuned in today. You know, you may not know this, but I am currently spending about 20 hours of my week serving as a youth pastor. And my goal for this year was to cover the entire Bible with the teenagers from Genesis to Revelation, cover the entire Bible. Uh, Some weeks it's turned out to be historical. Sometimes it's dense and prophetic. It all depends on where we are in any given week. Well, recently I found myself in controversy. Not that anything I said was controversial, but it's struck me how controversial one book has become. Yes, we recently talked about Job. Let's face it. As I told the teenagers, if you were to ask 10 different people the main theme in the book of Job, you'll probably get at least eight different answers. It's not a book that is widely agreed upon. A couple of years ago, I had a conversation with a pastor of a church who doesn't think that Job even actually happened. Uh, The story of Job was just a beautiful poem and a metaphorical story, and that's it, really. Never mind the fact that both the prophet Ezekiel and James gave Job as a concrete example for us. There is a growing number of people who think that Job wasn't real. But way more than this are the people who so wildly misuse Job to portray God. They base key theology on things said in that book. Well, today I'd like to look at the story of Job and maybe help set the record straight on that story for you if you've struggled with it or if you're confused by it. So let me tell you a little bit about Job. Uh, Job was not a Jew. He was from a place called Uz, Uz Uz, which is kind of far from Israel. In fact, during the time of Job, there was no Israel. Job's life predates the Egyptian captivity. Suffice it to say, Job was not one of the lineage of Abraham. However, That does not keep Job from honoring God. The Bible says that Job was an upright man, one who was blameless and who honored God. And Job was rich, extremely rich. He had massive amounts of cattle and workers and land, and he had 10 kids. The Bible says that Job was the greatest of all the people of the East. And when Job really starts getting going in the opening of that book, we see Satan try to argue God. He is saying that there is none who are righteous. Satan is is gloating. But God said that this is untrue. Job is a good man. So Satan says, hey, he only honors you because you've prospered him. Without that, Job will turn on you. So God allows access to Job's life. But he gives this major caveat, says you will not be able to kill Job. So right off the bat, we get into the first major bit of controversy among people today. For hundreds of years, people have read this and immediately think that God just licensed the devil to attack Job. But I want you to hang on to that thought because I will get back there. Well, in the story of Job, not long after we see this argument take place, Job is at home uh, when a man bursts in and he says, the Sabaeans have attacked. They've stolen all the animals, killed all your field hands out working. I'm the only one to survive. 
And before he could finish telling Job this, another guy bursts in saying, fire has fallen from the sky and it has burned all the sheep and all the shepherds to a crisp. I'm the only one alive. And before he could finish, another man burst in saying, the Chaldeans have come at us from three directions and raided all the camels and massacred all the camel drivers. I'm the only one who survived. And before he could finish, another comes in and he says, your children were having a party at the home of the oldest brother. And a tornado swept in from the desert and struck the house, and it collapsed on the young people, and they died. So one minute, Job is the greatest in the East. And the next, he loses all his wealth and his children. Well, as you would imagine, Job is pretty rocked by all this news. So he jumps up, rips his robe, shaves his head, falls on the ground, and he says these words, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives and God takes away. Now, whether or not you're familiar with the story of Job, if you've spent any time around people in your life, odds are you have heard that before. God gives and God takes away. And you know what? It's become so commonplace among Christian people. The notion of God taking away is almost an understood given, right? You'll find no argument with that thought among the majority of Christians. It's a favorite funeral line. God giveth and God taketh away. Now, if a preacher can get people to believe that, that means the preacher gets to be on the golf course by four o'clock. You know, people are going to go on grieving and dealing with this idea that God just took someone that they loved. That doesn't make any difference to them. I mean, after all, they've, they've done all they can do. It's terrible. It's sinful. It's blasphemous. And before I was in the ministry, I had a responsibility to make sure that my family wasn't in some church where God was taking away everything we had and killing our children. I'm not going to go to a God taking away church. I'm not going to be one who will serve a killer. I'm not going to serve a thief. The Bible says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The devil, who Jesus referred to as the thief, who comes to steal and kill and destroy. You know, I'm certainly not going to serve a God that'll give you cancer. Are you? I mean, if you think about it, you ever notice that Jesus doesn't have any cancer? Where would he get it to give you? And if he did have cancer... How would he transfer it to you? Would he put it on you by speaking it on you? No, he sent his word and it healed them. Would he put it on you by laying his hands on you? No, he laid his hands on them and it healed them, right? How would God go about making you sick? He would have to break one of his own commandments to do so. He's not a killer. And he's not a thief. 
And this is one of the problem areas when people read Job. They think that just because they see something here that fits some old religious mindset, that it must be what is really going on. But one of the first things anyone needs to learn when it comes to interpreting Scripture is that all Scripture is interpreted in the light of the rest of Scripture. Everywhere else, we see that God is not a killer. He is a healer and a resurrector, not a killer. Jesus said that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And Jesus, according to Acts 10.38, went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus went about healing. The oppression was of the devil. So have you been one who has read the book of Job and maybe had these notions in your life? Something bad happens and, and God must be teaching me something. A loved one is dying and our response is, well, if God wants to take them, God giveth and God taketh away. My friend, God did not ever take anything away from Job, and he never licensed the devil to do it. So who did? Well, that is what the book of Job is all about. After his health is attacked and Job finds himself covered in oozing sores from head to toe, he has a terrible run-in with his wife, which is an example of what a godly marriage should not be, but that's an, for another podcast. But then Job's three friends show up, Larry, Moe, and Curly. The, the, these guys are the stoogiest stooges that ever stooged, for real. They go around and around with Job for most of the book, contemplating the cause of these things and trying to understand or explain God. And from these nitwit reasonings, People today try to create a full theology around these ideas. Now, as I told the teenagers, when you hear someone try to make a statement about who God is from the book of Job, you need to look at who they are quoting. Because if it's one of these friends, it's wrong. How do I know that? God himself said in the 42nd chapter of the book of Job that Job's friends were being dishonest about him. Think about that. People try to say that God does one thing or another because of something that was said in the preceding chapters by one of those three friends. And God, in the same book, says that all these friends are wrong about him. Look it up for yourself. So, back to that question, who licensed the devil in this? Where did the devil find his access into the life of Job? Well, in the last few verses of the third chapter, we see something about Job that tells more about him, tells us stuff about Job that took place that was a condition of Job's before the first chapter of Job. Job says, that which he greatly feared has come upon him. Job says he was not at rest, he was troubled, upset, and yet trouble came. 
what what he was really saying is, you know, I, I was worried about my business and I was worried about my children. I struggled over them and, and the worry and the fear of something going wrong or happening. It kept me up at night. And yet trouble came anyways. And he couldn't understand that. He thought that being worried was being responsible. Sound familiar? It does, doesn't it? Way, way too familiar. Even just being glued to the news, as all that's going around in the world and in this country right now, well, we have to stay aware of these things because it's coming, right? I have to be up in the middle of all the latest political developments because that's how we show that we really care. We lie awake at night with worry over our kids. We think of ways that we can keep a constant eye on them or, or even on our businesses. So we are consumed with fear and worry because that's what it is to be responsible. But in reality, it's the most irresponsible thing that anybody can do. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It says that the promises of God were obtained by faith and patience. And it says that faith labors to enter into rest before God. Faith enters into rest. By his stripes you were healed. Yeah, I know, Philip, but, but what if? What if the virus gets worse? What if there's riots by my house? What if that one guy is elected president? Faith labors to enter into rest. Not only that, but faith connects you spiritually to God. It's what connected you to Jesus and salvation. It's what connects you to he, to him for healing and, and blessing and peace. Faith always connects you. Now, fear is faith, but it's going in the opposite direction. It's also a spiritual connector, just like faith. But fear is what connects you to those things that you fear. Well, before God got involved, Job had one other guy in his story by the name of Elihu. And, and this was a young man. Uh, he was full of wisdom despite his age and says to Job, why don't you simply confess to God? Say, I sinned, but I'll sin no more. Teach me to see what I still don't see. Whatever evil I've done, I'll do it no more. And you see, this is where Job missed it. And it's where we so often miss it today. Just like Job, we live lives of worry and fear. And then, just like Job, how often do we blame God for when there is something that goes wrong? After all, why didn't you do something, God, when all along God has already given us everything we need and could ever need? If it seems like I've been reading your mail today, what can you do? After all, it doesn't do a lot of good to know these things, but not make any steps towards eradicating a Job lifestyle, right? The word tells us you need to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, lest you deceive yourself. 
So the first thing and the main thing here, change your words. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You need to change what is coming out of your mouth. Eliminate fear from your vocabulary. If you really start thinking about it, you'll be amazed at how often fear and and fear-like words are part of your common speech. Hey, are you coming to the dinner tonight? No, I'm afraid not. You see, you just did it. All you needed to do was just say no. Don't bring fear into the equation. Well, Philip, I think that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, to let your yes be yes, your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Doesn't seem like Jesus thought it was extreme. It's not extreme at all, unless you think ridding your speech entirely of words from the devil is extreme. And the second thing is tied directly to the first. You need to discipline yourself to keeping regular and routine, dedicated time in study of the word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you are going to have faith that enters into rest, if you are going to have words of faith that replace words of fear in your vocabulary, you must have the word. You cannot increase your faith without the word. You cannot know how to believe God with any foundation to stand on unless you've taken time to fill up on the word. You won't know when someone shows you a scripture from Job if it was a good scripture or a dishonest one. So fill up on the word and you will fill up on faith and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will then speak. Well, I am so glad you have joined me today. Philip Crawford Ministries has some ministry updates coming out soon. Feel free to contact us uh, through philipcrawford.org. Send an email to info at philipcrawford.org. Be added to our mailing list with ministry updates. Uh, You can contact us for prayer or even just to reach out about having me come and minister in your area. If this podcast has helped you out today, be sure you give it a share on social media. Click the subscribe button if you haven't already and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So glad you listened. God bless you. And as always, tell someone about Jesus this week.